Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Miles Austin. Miles Austin is the CEO of Hyphen, which gathers environment data to put it on chain, enabling immediate, dynamic and well-informed actions to address climate change. In this episode, Stefan and Miles discuss crypto and climate, how to verify data, and how to incentivize good actors. Enjoy this episode. Super excited to be back here again um, with Miles Austin this time. Um, yeah, different locations. We just had a great session today in real life, actually, in Basel together, in, 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 in a city together on this planet, in, in a country. Um, so it was really nice to meet in person and, and, and spend some quality time in addition to having hung out together at SmartCon. So um and and yeah so so much so we hit it off right away and that we're actually partnering together with trueflation and hyphen but before we get into that maybe let's just talk about sort of you know miles and, and miles austin your background how you got into crypto uh, you know you're you're quite an entrepreneur already in, in, in your own being um so yeah i'd love to find out more about yourself and, and some background and maybe share that with the audience yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on here today. Super excited to be here. Um, and uh, it was great seeing you. It's uh, we, we definitely got had some really quality time together at SmartCon yeah. as well as uh, in Switzerland. So that's great. So how did I get into crypto? It's a little bit of a, um, a funny story. It just happened really organically. I was going to this, um, I was on scholarship to this private boarding school called Wasatch Academy. And we had students from all over the world. And in the evenings, they would really start to block a lot of stuff on the internet because they didn't want all these high school kids just staying up all night on their computers, right? Um, and that's where one of my roommates, this really awesome kid from China, was fascinated with Tor browsing and all of these different things. And that's how I first discovered it. And I came across Bitcoin and I went, oh, this is really interesting. Okay, this is, it just caught my attention. It was something new. It was something exciting. Um, and so I started to play around with it. And in our free time, we were doing quite a bit of trading. And we just thought it was a really fun thing. Uh, get a couple of the friends together in, in the dorms and, and trade some Bitcoin. So it was quite exciting at the time. And then later, um, when Ethereum came about, that was a bit more exciting because I said, oh, hey, this is a, something that actually leads towards building. And this has a little bit more use. And in, in, in my eyes, there's just a little bit more practical. Um, so that's how I, I, I got into it and um, always kind of played around with it. When I was younger, I went through some phases where I was more active in crypto and then other times when I wasn't. Um, but all in all, it's it's just been a very organic journey since I was young. Let's learn about, you know, so how you got, you know, sort of after you graduated, I mean, and then what did you do? And, and then how did you get into Hyphen? And, and, yes. Yeah. So I think Hyphen's a year old, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just over a year old. So uh, a bit of a long story, I graduated school when I was really young was completely finished with school when i was 15 um and just i really had this entrepreneur mindset of like oh, i want to i want to create something and, and move forward um and so it, it came to one of my best friends at the time um she really encouraged me that hey let's let's start some companies together and let's let's do something so we ended up starting um we kind of teamed up with a few other friends as well and started some music festivals that surprisingly went really well um, and so we, we did a couple music festivals for a few years. It was uh, sort of this 
dream situation to be in when, when you're young and you can actually be building and developing a company, but also just having so much fun at the same time. Um, through that, we uh, started to make a lot of friends in the music industry and similar- What were some of the bands you had at your, what were some of the bands you had at your I, music festivals? I think any, that, do we know any of them or? Yeah, yeah. The, the one that I was the most excited that we ever booked was definitely uh, Nas and Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill was always someone I really, really was a big fan of. So to have her actually come and perform at our festival was awesome just because that doesn't happen every day. So that, that was definitely my favorite one. Um, but yeah, so we ended up making quite a few friends in the entertainment space and just sort of came across one of these problems, right? Everyone was unhappy. So we said, Hey, there's another opportunity here. Uh, so we started a record label and that eventually brought me to Los Angeles and I lived in Los Angeles for several years, um, and really had a great time doing that all this time. I'm still playing around with crypto in my free time and, and having fun. But I did sort of start to fall a little bit out of crypto, right? Just because it's, you know, how many things can you really juggle at once? Um, but it, I, I remember that it came down to this simple principle to me that some of the technology I was such an advocate for and so had so much fun with. But, you know, I'm a very realistic person. And I remember, I think it was in 2016 or so, I just had this thought of in some of this technology, I can actually poke more holes in it than really being an advocate for it. And I knew that it was still something that was developing and growing and more solutions would come into play. But I will give a big credit to Chainlink. When I read Chainlink's white paper in 2017, um, I really just, the vision caught me. And I, and I really thought to myself, wow, okay, this can actually be the solution for some of those holes that I was poking when it comes around inoperability and security and, and various other things that they really laid out in the white paper. So that kind of drew me much more into it. It actually then led to me finally slowly starting to step out of entertainment a little bit um, and focusing more on crypto again. So with my um, co-founder at Hyphen as well, we ended up launching a fund in the US called CPG Capital, really just focused on the infrastructure, right? Tokenized infrastructure and trying to find the technologies that aren't necessarily out there to disrupt, but rather to upgrade and make systems more efficient and being able to work with legacy systems. And how do we build, actually connect this bridge between DeFi and your traditional financial system. So Chainlink fit into that pretty well, as well as a couple other projects. Um, so we launched this fund, I had a great time, ended up uh, having a lot of our friends in the music space in LA sort of come in and, and help us get that fund going in terms of limited partners. So it was really just a, a great experience to see these two worlds collide with each other. Um, and then shortly after, you know, two, two years later or something like that, COVID hit. And then there was um, not a lot that you, right? It kind of just, it put a huge pause on anything we had going on in the entertainment space. So I just, I had this reflection with myself of, hey, you know, this has been super fun. It was great when I was young, but maybe I can kind of start to steer into something that I... I have a, a bit of a longer term vision with, and that's sort of in the tech space and the financial space um, to like build. And it's so early that it, it, I just got to move on this. Right. Um, so during COVID, everyone, you know, was stuck at home. I was one of those really fortunate people um, with having a couple of different passports to be able to bounce around still. So everyone was kind of locked up at home and I was going through the airports. They were empty. Um, bouncing back and forth between Europe and the U.S. 
and really just happened to be at a couple places at the right time and got to know some really interesting people in the banking world and really was sort of encouraged to move on some of the uh, ideas I had on using these technologies to really combine them with uh, my care for the climate and say, hey, what can we use here to actually make some of these systems more efficient and address some of these problems? Um, and so that's officially when I sort of checked out of the entertainment space, became a, a silent owner, um, which right at that time, too, it was a little bit torn because one of my partners there, they were just launching this new festival focused on climate. And, hey, how can we use our influence in these, you know, commu entertainment communities that do have such a strong influence? And how can we use this influence to actually um get some of the, the the youth and other people to wake up and to care a little bit more about hey you know the the newest kanye whatever sneakers cool but what does that do for us actually right and in, in my personal opinion it's not doing anything really good for the world um and so how can we actually use some some influence to get people to pay more attention to the climate and something that affects everybody in their real life and i think that these effects that it, it will have on people is so much closer than a lot of people are willing to really think and accept. Um, and so, yeah, with all this kind of randomness bouncing back and forth and coming together, I just made the decision, okay, it's time to get out of LA, move to Switzerland and just dedicate all my time to climate and how can we use the best toolkits and technologies out of the Web3 ecosystems to improve some of the traditional um, mechanisms for kind of greening the financial system. Interesting, you know, because so, uh, in a way, I, I set off very similar to you. I set off with the mind and how can we tokenize the planet? What would that look like? How do we build this a token economy where we can monetize or even put quantifiable appreciation for certain aspects in life that, that we feel we need? Then on the flip side, I just found it was so difficult, right? The existing systems in place, the legacy models, um, we needed a new system with new tools, right? And, and, and ultimately, if those new systems and new tools could get significant critical mass, we would then be able to you know, bring across some of the old uh, models or the old participants and the legacy participants to sort of oh, wow, this is a great tool. This is going to really help me move my mission forward and then take out the ego-driven uh, elements in there or the political uh, you know, um, incentives and, and just really put it back to where's your mission? What are you trying to do and how can we help make that happen? But I found the funny thing is that, that you sort of were an operator, an entrepreneur building a business got into investments, right, and sort of looked at that, but then realized sort of afterwards again that you wanted to go back into building and, and really making an impact and actually having versus just providing the capital and the resources to do so. Was that, how, how did that urge manifest itself and, and, and what, was it just you were traveling around and you just felt, oh man, I'm rudderless, I'm, I'm just doing something boring on a, on a spreadsheet or what was it that really sort of, gave you that the genesis to really or the inspiration to go back into building again 
Yeah, so some of it actually does have to do with that, this traveling around. And every time I'm traveling, you know, um, I've always got my headphones and I'm always listening to music. And I find these <laughs> times to be a, a time where I get a lot of inspiration, actually, and start to really envision a lot of things, you know, sitting in the airports waiting or on a flight. You know, I, I'm, my mind's always turning. Right. And so, yeah, it was super exciting doing a lot of this uh, on the more investment side of things. But we positioned ourselves pretty well in a couple projects that we wanted to really position ourselves in. Um, and then the market started having more volatility. And that's when I started to learn more and more about some of the problems in this movement of greening the financial system. Right. And and that's really where we I was really picking it apart and comparing it to a little bit of the 2008 financial crisis. So like The Big Short is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, um, uh, uh, uh. It's so good. And so I started to really kind of compare these two scenarios. I said, hey, we're actually <laughs> just sorry to interrupt, but I, yeah. that's usually a question I start off with. What's your favorite movie? Right. Yeah. And so there we got it. You covered it without me having to ask you, which is even better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so good. But so I started thinking and in, in kind of, you know, just comparing this and on a very oversimplified basis. But sometimes I think it's health, healthy to do that. Just completely oversimplify things. And, you know, looking at. 2008, you had these great financial products and standards and things being built, but that foundation level was faulty, right? And there wasn't the due diligence that needed to be done. There was no dynamic aspect, no validation or verification on some of some of these people, right? Why are we giving uh, a dancer in Florida, you know, enough money to buy five houses? It's probably not going to end well, right? Um, but so anyway. Then looking at these major changes in the monetary system, I started to actually worry and started to talk with some some mentors and colleagues and other people and say, hey, look, with all of this change that's coming into place to incentivize green behavior and to require these climate disclosures and to increase the accuracy of like a carbon footprint and these things, where's the data, that foundation level again? Where's one, the technical infrastructure to support this? And two, where's the data, right? Because the an elephant in the room a lot of times is that there's there's a lot of climate data out there, but there's not a lot of quality climate data out there. And so I said, well, what are the chances? Um, we have all this capital pledged and all all of these big things happening, but if we don't have that foundation in place, what are the chances we're walking ourselves into another 2008 situation? But we're just have a big green ribbon around it this time. So I know I'm giving you a long answer here, but that's what really inspired me to actually like get up off my ass and just move because I, ha- I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people, and really just came to this realization that someone's got to do this. And I think it's difficult to see this unless you're sort of in, in the right place at the right time. And I saw it so clearly that uh, my partner at CPG and I, we just said, hey, let's, uh, let's just do this, you know? Um, someone's got to do it. We've got a lot of the right contact in, in a lot of the right rooms and in the right circles. You know, we can sit here and wait for someone else to do it and try to invest in that, or we can just get up and do it ourselves. And I think that might be a lot more fun because I like a good adventure. So it really just came down to saying like, hey, it's got to be done. Let's give it a shot. And I think you 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 did give it a shot, right? You've been at it now for a year. And I think you've had a lot of challenges, right? It hasn't been as easy maybe as you set your mind out to do it. But I mean, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it, right? And I suppose that's why you set your heart and mind to do it. 
which I like a lot. And I think one of the things that when I work with you, at least I always hear you mention, right? It's got to be verified, validated, accurate, right? Those are the three words you sort of use a lot, right, in, in the data. Why has it been so difficult from governmental institutions and scientists, scientific laboratories that are all, you know, um, funded with taxpayers' money. Why has it been so difficult to access that data and then help get it verified and validated and distributed? Yeah, so it's when it comes to climate data, I really put it into two different baskets. In, in yeah. one, there's all of this climate data that's um, collected and basically created from different atmospheric agencies in the world, which are for the purpose of research, which is so important to uh, understand that these were designed for research and to have insights and understanding uh, on a global and some regional levels of what's happening in the atmosphere and what's going on with the climate. On the other side, there's the corporate data, right? And so those yeah. two are very different. What I found on the, in sort of the atmospheric side within these different agencies, they've been a pleasure to work with. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the director of one of these agencies. Um, when I told him, you know, one of our first meetings, this is what we want to do. This is why we need to do it. And this is where the demand of this information is and why it's so important. Um, I'll never forget. He, he, he said in this charming voice, like, ha, I've been waiting for you for 30 years. Uh, we've always wanted to <laughs> with this data, but no one's cared. Um, which was a, a shock for me to hear that, right? Nice. And so yeah, exactly. Why, why is it taking so long? Yeah, exactly. And so it's, you know, but again, we didn't have the demand for this information <laughs> years ago. And so what I found is working with these different atmospheric agencies has been a really wonderful and a very insightful experience where I've learned a lot as well. Um, and really the, the thing that's made anything difficult there is sort of twofold. One being a lot of this data are in silos and they haven't actually had the funding that you might expect to be able to put more technical infrastructure in place to, to improve those systems and make them more efficient. Um, and on the other hand of it, some of it's old, right? And the historic climate data is really important, especially for forecasting and for thinking yeah. more associated to the climate risk. But some of this is again still on paper right and so getting all of this older data from 30 plus years ago and digitizing it is a whole nother process right it's almost like you need another group in the private sector just to focus and, and do that so you can do that quicker um but all in all we've now really started to work with these different groups to sort of eliminate the silos and be able to make internal systems more efficient for sharing this data and putting it in preferred formats and you know making this more accessible to everybody else and unlocking the, the the power of that data to actually get it to the private sector on the other side though which is again important to keep them different in my personal opinion the corporate data right so that's really where there's a lot of talk and emphasis around esg and as you know we were just talking about the other night with with some friends in in switzerland this ESG term is basically broken now, right? Like, whoa, yeah, especially, you know, it was birthed out of the US, but now it's the US that's really kind of like against ESG. And ultimately, I think it just goes to show that we need something new, right? Um, but the problem within the corporate data comes down to something, I think of a little bit more from a philosophical approach where we just can't trust a lot of people, right? That's the unfortunate part where, if you're a large corporation and you're acting 
for the best interest of your shareholders and you are going to do better by saying, I have a green shirt, you're going to say you have a green shirt every time, right? That's just the reality of, of the world. And so that's what happened, right? That was this whole huge explosion of greenwashing was that there wasn't the, the proper due diligence and validation verification taking place. So you could just say, oh, I'm this green or I'm this dirty. And that, you know, it, it, that's what it was. So ultimately, I would yeah. say that the problem within the corporate climate data is just the self-reporting has failed. I don't think it works. Um, I'm, you know, much more in favor of machine to machine connections. And that's where the last obstacle that I'll, I'll say in this answer in this long answer is that when it comes to the corporate world, there's a major lack of physical infrastructure in place um to be able to more accurately measure and monitor what the emissions footprints are on facilities and supply chains there's just a major lack of, of uh physical infrastructure in place with very specific iot right you can't just buy a really cheap sensor and say oh it's the numbers going up or down it, there's much more of a scientific process that goes behind that but what amazes me is that in the corporate world and in in, in this whole you know, we talked about it at length around ESG is, is that it's become down to who can pay the most to consultants, to auditors, to accountants, to quantify and, and put together 300 page reports that really nobody re reads. And nine times out of 10, they're all printed out on a book that sits on a coffee table somewhere, which is again, printed out maybe on recycling paper though. Man, that's yeah. okay then. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, sort of joking aside, I think, how do we get, and, and that's why I love what, what you're doing, right? Is, is really, how do we get it to a cryptographically verifiable that when I put out a green bond, what does a green bond mean, first of all? And then when I put out a green bond, that there are accountabilities towards those to the corporation, right? All these corporations have CEOs. They make these commitments. By 2030, we'll be carbon neutral. But by 2030, he's no longer the CEO, right? That's seven years down the road. He's most probably been in that role for five years. So is he really going to last through that period of time? If he's a founder, maybe. If he's not, less likely. You know, shareholders might vote him out or whatever it is. And so it doesn't really matter. It's non-quantifiable. But if they do take out a green bond and there are commitments in there, how do we hold them accountable to those? How do, we, how do they then ultimately, then ultimately it's financially. And I don't need a corrupt auditor or an, a corrupt accountant or, you know, going in there and saying, oh, yeah, they're good. But, but OK, because they paid me a gazillion dollars. Of course, they're good. Right. I mean, what am I going to do? Say they're bad. You know, uh, how do we get to that? And, I mean, I think it's a bit of a uh, like a conflict of interest, right? If you're, yeah. you know, which I understand if you're if you're in a position where you're getting paid a lot of money to tell yeah. somebody how, how green or dirty of uh, of their footprint <laughs> there is, you're probably going to be. Yeah, we just 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 yeah, saying right. that, right? I mean, it's a yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's um, yeah. it's it's definitely ironic, right? But I think one of the yeah. things that really will help improve that is one having more physical infrastructure in the world to increase the granularity of us being able to measure um, different, like mainly within greenhouse gases concentrations, because it's so important to have baselines and be able to measure the GHG fluxes so that you can actually begin to have something to use as a backdrop to compare corporate um, footprints against, right? And if you don't have that backdrop to compare against, then how would you ever know? 
it's, you know, again, to oversimplify something, how would you actually know how accurate uh, a corporate footprint is if you don't have the ability to reference what's actually happening in the atmosphere? Um, so that's a lot of something, uh, some of the work that we focus on heavily at Hyphen is actually providing that insight. But ultimately, I think that the thing that will change us the most, and I know this gets a little bit controversial, uh, depending on, on who you ask, but I think um, the, the monetary system can, can do this. So by putting the right incentives in place to make it more profitable, to be able to prove how green your footprint is versus how dirty it is, will incentivize people, right? And talking about, or, or we were kind of, alluding to some of the potential, uh, whether it's intentional or unintentional corruption that takes place around some corporate footprints, well, it's because of that incentive, right? Humanity loves to lean towards where they're incentivized to go. So if the monetary system can now incentivize you to prove how green your footprint is or how green your portfolio is for an asset manager, you're going to lean that way, right? The incentive is in place now. And I'm really excited to see how things unfold over the next few years, because at least for Switzerland and for Europe, um, those incentives are now coming into place. So there's a lot of changes that come into effect at the beginning of next year, 2023. And then another round of these incentives that, that becomes a little bit more mandated in 2025 and 2026. So I'm excited to see that we are heading in that direction for these incentives to be put in place. Um, but again, it becomes very political at that point, right? And I'm not a guy that loves to dive deep into politics, but it's, you know, it's easier from what I've found for some of these decisions to be made and take place in places such as Switzerland and in the EU um, versus, you know, not to point fingers, but in the United States, I think it's much more difficult for that to take to, to happen efficiently or with any amount of speed because, if the Fed wants to do something, they can't just boom, we're doing it right. They have to actually go through certain processes and, and get um, the political approvals that are necessary to be able to do these sort of things. And that's opening up a whole can of worms. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to see what places in the world are doing the most, the quickest and what the outcome of that will be in the next couple of years. Can you share what some of those examples are going to be? What are the incentives? Right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a capitalist, right? I really believe in, 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 in sort of, and the freer the markets, the more the, the market will define what is right and wrong and consumers will make a decision. And so ultimately, as a capitalist, where there are incentives, I will then take that into account and look at the opportunities associated with that. Where do you see these incentives um, and what can you give an example or two of what Europe and Switzerland are, how they're incentivizing um, the sort of go green or, or impact activities or circular economy? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a, a great yeah. example is what's called CBAM, which is the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism. This is supposed to go into effect in 2023. Um, but what it is, is it's essentially, it's a carbon border around the EU. So, uh, as an example for you, let's say I'm a lithium miner producer in Chile and I want to export out of Chile and import into Germany for their auto industry, right? You're now going to have to prove that emission footprint. Um, and if you can't, 
there are penalties, right? So you'll begin to get fined for not being able to prove that emission footprint associated to the to that underlying asset, right? Mainly focus on commodities, steel, heavy industry, um, and oil but and gas. But isn't that that's more a penalty? So they're enforcing yeah. a tax on an emerging market that is already dependent on the European loans to the denominated in US dollar. So where's the incentive there? Is there not an incentive that you the government will subsidize your price per lithium? That would be super good, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that would be ideal, right? And that's where I think that there still needs a level of clarity and understanding to come into place around that. But I, you know, I'm the type of person, maybe it's a little bit more of like a, a sinister approach, but I'm like, Hey, if it's a penalty, like for me, I'm like, whatever, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's still pushing in the right direction. Um, and so with that in, in my way, and it's not directly a financial incentive, but I think it's still incentivizing you to have a greener footprint, because if your competition in Argentina or somewhere, wherever it is in the world, right? If they are, don't have as green of a footprint for you, they're not going to have the level of business as you. So you can get that upper hand by just cleaning up your own um, facilities and making those more climate friendly or the best that you can, right? Depending on what vertical it's in. But it, it, it puts a competitive landscape on there to be more green. Um, and I think that we will see people do that as business is very competitive. Um, and so I think it's CBAM is like a great first step. But again, this is supposed to go into effect next year, um, but it's not fully mandated until supposedly around 2025, 2026. So that'll be really interesting to to see. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I do find it a bit. Um, those type of incentive structures, I find a bit. Um, you know, sort of uh, what what's the right word? I don't know. It's sort of not quite aligned, right? So, what I uh, you know, I think it, because the burden on 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 ensuring that I am more green is done to a developing market, which generally doesn't have the funding, doesn't have the resources necessarily to do that, but they have the resources, yeah. so they then have to invest more. How do they invest more? Oh, I have to get a loan to do that investment so I can comply and ship it to a Western market. Okay, so where do I get the loan? Oh, I get the loan from a bank, which is tied to the IMF, which is US dollar denominated. So then again, I'm, I'm beholden to an external party that is not necessary. I'm not, you know, and so Rather than that, wouldn't it be better if we could try and turn it around and say, look, if you import German manufacturer, if you import from green sources, we will give you a tax credit of X, Y, Z if they can prove that they're from a green source. So then the German guy, I'm an importer, I'm the buyer. I then add that into my buying and change my habits from yeah. the purchasing decision because there's a financial incentive to do so. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's some yeah. of the, the vision in place there, right? To, to actually yeah. get towards a system like that. Get Something to that, that, yeah. that is a personal thought of mine. So this is not, not anything official in any terms of regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going into to, to sort of your point, your vision there is something I always thought would be really interesting is you know, once you have, again, this relies heavily though on the accuracy of climate data. Um, yeah. But we have the ability now through the 
different tool toolkits made available in the Web3 ecosystems. And what you're seeing in parallel with all of this experimentation around the central bank digital currencies to really integrate all of this to begin to automate those incentives, right? So what, what this could potentially look like in the future um, and also could not, right? This is just an idea. But, you know, let's say if you're a farming is an easy example in, in agriculture, right? But it could be anything. Um, so don't pick apart this example too much. But let's say you're a, a, a farmer and you can now monitor the emissions associated to that location. Um, if you're becoming, if your footprint's becoming greener and your emissions are turning down, that can automatically trigger some smart contracts that connect directly with the CBDC network. So if your emissions are, are, are coming down, automatically your lines of credit will increase and your interest rates will lower. And then exactly the other way around, there's a, a penalty as well, right? If your emissions are really increasing, then your lines of credit shrink and potentially get more basis points added on. Um, and so you can have this automated scale in place that says, hey, for those people who are behaving better, we will directly make it in your financial benefit to do so versus if you're not. Um, and that's just like a silly little example, but I think it's potentially somewhere where we could be heading in the future. I'm still sort of mixed myself on this sounds great the way I think of it. But again, it sort of starts to remind me <laughs> like Frankenstein at that point, right? It gets a little dicey, but so it's it, it all to just say, I think we're still early and there's a lot of innovation and, and pieces that will come in, into play over the coming years. And I think that's really interesting. I think the the model that you highlight is is you know in principle is is the great model. And I think that's a way that we should do it. I think rather than coupling it with the CBDC, though, I would then sort of have a look at how do we give it out to the free market, right? And this is a threshold, and every year the threshold slowly comes down as it relates to specific components. And then you can commercialize if you're putting the money, instead of paying shareholder dividends or doing stock buybacks, you're actually investing in IoT sensors to track more of what you're doing so that you can actually then quantify what the, the elements are that are below that threshold that gives you the credits that you can then sell in the marketplace. So bad actors can have to go and buy it in the marketplace. But the market then defines what that equilibrium is. And there are going to be benefactors and supply and demand will stipulate the price. I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's, um, yeah. and I think that's totally realistic, right? We have the yeah. right, yeah. not just the right toolkits available today, but we have the right startups. We have the right people innovating. We have all the right kind of puzzle pieces here to assemble this and make it a reality, but it's just going to take some time and a lot of collaboration and working together to, to get it there. Um, which, you know, as some of the crypto communities love to say, it's we're, we're all in this together. We're all stronger together. And I really think it, it couldn't be more true. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I think there is so much opportunity, right? There is there is a whole new market that could be created and an industry as such that could be created if it were done fairly and then and, and everybody could participate in it and it was transparent right at the moment again the difficulty is it's intransparent and that's why i love sort of a lot what you're doing is really just making it available and providing the transparency with the data and 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 that's really what what we need right and you know um 
you know, one one of the things that I think is 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 as the blockchain is is really heavily sort of um, tied to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and then lately a lot more with DeFi, right? And and sort of you know I'd love to create DeFi related products associated with the data that we're bringing to market with Truflation, with all of this, uh, you know, economic data, you're bringing the climate data in there. How do we go and build DeFi products? And given the volatility and, and, and everything associated with it, how do you, you know, how do you think we should go about addressing that? Or, um, you know, yeah, I mean, have you given a, have you had some thoughts around that? Or yeah, well, I get asked that a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting when it comes to the. I get asked about the volatility all the time, right? Less from my <laughs> hype perspective, but more from my funds. But um, yeah. it's interesting to see kind of the correlations to different things in the world and how that is affecting the volatility in crypto markets. Where in my earlier days in crypto, things were very driven by Bitcoin, right? You had this big dominance. I mean, you still do, um, but it was mainly controlled and in the hands of a lot of crypto people, um, yeah. who I think. Not always, but generally, these communities kind of have the same vision. They want they want the number to go up. They want to see this become a really, really big thing, right? And they're kind of in it together. Um, I think that landscape has changed a lot, um, which comes to human intervention, actually. So now you have larger asset managers who have gotten into this space, right? We've seen the, the overall market cap of, of the Web3 ecosystem increase a lot over the last three years. Um, and so now you have not just a bunch of crypto people playing in this now, right? You've got, you've got people from a different mindset with different trading practices and investment theses who are not just holding a bunch of crypto, right? They've got one hand heavily in your traditional system and the other hand now pretty heavily into crypto, um, mainly into things like Bitcoin and Ethereum who are still have that dominance, right? And yep. so now, that, and this is just my thought on it, but I think that, you know, if I put myself in those shoes and I'm one of these larger asset managers that has my hand in both, because a lot of the bigger ones still are, haven't touched crypto yet. Um, but with, for those, some of those big firms that have their hand in both, they're now thinking of it from a point of view from them being in both, right? So what they're doing in the traditional world might be affected by the crypto world and vice versa. Um, and so they're moving things around by assessing and judging both things, right? Because you're counting all the eggs in your in your basket, essentially, right? I think that's the first time this has happened, which I think ultimately is healthy in the long run because it means we're progressing and moving forward. But indirectly, that has made more of a correlation now between your traditional markets and your crypto markets um, yeah. because you've got people playing in, in, in both sides, right? With significant amount, amounts of capital, not just smaller amounts. So that, that I think doesn't help the volatility, um, but yeah, I think yeah. it sort of will start to, to iron itself out. You also have just a, a, it's a pretty crazy time in the world right now, right? We've got all, all of these different geopolitical things taking place, these micro macroeconomics. So it's, it's a volatile time, um, but maybe it's like the older sort of DeFi person in me that just says, hey, these are the times where it's, where I'm not doing lots of trading stuff. I'm. This is when you build, build, build. Just focus on building and dollar cost average. It's not investment advice, but just like you know, dollar cost average and build and 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 yeah. you know, stick in it for the long run. But 
to tie it into some of your other questions, how can we use some of these toolkits and things to, to build other like green products and make it more in inclusive and things? You know, that's something you and I were brainstorming the other day. Ultimately, I think by doing that and connecting a lot of this to real world uh, assets, um, especially things in the natural world, right? So a lot of these externalities that are now becoming internalities by creating the right incentives and cryptographically guaranteeing that these assets are doing what you think they're doing, um, I think can really start to pull some of the dominance away from things such as Bitcoin or some of these larger asset managers and give the smaller guys more of a chance to be able to be positioned better in some of these projects and different assets that are maybe tied to real world um, assets or different underlying commodities and things so that we can start to have a little bit more confidence in this for not just the long-term like crypto hopium, but to go, okay, this has actually become something very real in the world now, right? These we're now starting to create upgraded versions of older financial products where we're making newer versions of these using the tools from Web3. Um, and that makes it more inclusive as well, right? And so that's something I'm really excited about is, to, is just seeing how much innovation in that area that's taking place, especially in, in you know, movements like refi, I think is really doing a good job of that. Yeah. But again, I, I, I'm still a believer in we're, we're early. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think we're really early and, and there's still so much to do, right? And, and if I look at most of the systems that are deployed and, and particularly in the different governments around the world, we're still heavily dependent on systems that were and frameworks and policies and processes that were put in place more than 100 years ago. Yeah. And that was pre every household having internet, having air conditioning, having heating systems that were centralized, right? Having sanitation systems, right? Today we have sanitation systems, we have electricity, we have iPhones, we have mobile phones, we have electricity, we have, we have all these systems, but we still are relying on systems that were set up more than a hundred years ago yeah. that were layered on top of layered on top of layered on a new process, but only incremental improvements versus leapfrogging. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things I love about what, what you're doing with Trueflation yeah. is changing yeah. that, right? Um, yeah. It's something where, where I, I learned quite a bit from you on the way that, that inflation is calculated in these different things and how you're going about it so differently and making this not just so much more efficient and accurate, but in near real time, right? Or in some cases in real time. And I think that's super exciting because to your point, some of these systems are really old. Right. And, and I'm personally like, uh, I love history. I think history is not just very interesting, but it's very important. Um, and so I, I, I really love it. And when you were describing to me some of how, how outdated the system around calculating inflation is, it reminded me a lot of just kind of like the origin of banking, right? Like where did yeah. reserve fractional banking come from? It's very old. It's hundreds of years old. And it was basically <laughs> created by um, some knights in Europe. And they said, hey, we've got this wonderful idea. We'll hold all the gold, <laughs> give you a note, and we'll hook up some, some, some incentives here and interest and things. So why are we still using these systems that are so old in a world that's moving so quickly today with so much innovation? Um, and that's where I think it's, you know, 
I don't have an ultimate answer for that, right? I think it's probably <laughs> complicated from from um, different geopolitical incentives and 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 just politics, all sorts of stuff. But ultimately, I think what we're seeing in the economy today is just a loud cry for changing some of these systems, upgrading them, making them more efficient, and actually making them more inclusive, so that um, we we can. It, more people have the ability to actually participate in the economy and not just sort of support it from the bottom up. Yeah, and so so my view is very much like, look, how many people listen to you know economic data, you know, ev- you know, every day, right? Um, you know, there's a handful of people. How many people listen to economic data? You know, once a month when the Fed comes out with the inflation data, there's, you know, a, a larger number of people. Right. And and what we want to do is make sure that that amount of people that listen to this data all the time, every time is as everybody. And we're going to be there holding your hands, championing you through this and helping you understand what that data means and how it impacts you. Right. How does that impact you yourself? Right. And that's really what we want to do. And then what can you do? about it right yeah and, and and what are the tools you need well that's something i'm really excited about with with what you announced at uh, SmartCon is being able to sort yeah. of have your own personal cal- calculator to what's my inflation right my yeah. my inflation is probably just as a silly example is astronomically different than like what my mom's is right my mom lives <laughs> on like a farm in utah i live in switzerland yeah couldn't have different lifestyles so our inflation is so much different right and some of us are affected by that vastly different right um and so i think it's just so important to be able to have the ability to do that um which i mean it 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 could be a little bit of a silly thing to say but until you kind of really have that accurate insight from a personal um viewpoint how it's hard to just generalize right with everybody else and say oh this is what i can and can't do you got to understand that to really properly and accurately have your own personal finances in order um so i think it's it's really great that you'll have the ability to do this with with what you're doing at trueflation it's something i'm i'm really excited about and it's just something i, I already know i'm going to be playing around with it and seeing how how it works versus one lifestyle compared to another and, you, know, you name it and I think it's 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 to me it's not only inflation data, but inflation hits everybody personally. But I was in Switzerland and we were talking about what's inflation by industry vertical, right? So to your point, all the lithium, you know, what would you know all the lithium? What's the impact of lithium mining from an inflation perspective? We can calculate that. How do we then take the carbon data and make that visually comprehensible so that anybody can understand? Here's the checklist. Here's the weighting. Here's the data that underlies that. And this is how we calculate all the lithium mining, you know, sort of carbon footprint, if you will. But it's then transparent and we can deal with it because I think we can, as humans, we can deal with most anything except we hate unexpected, you know, implications, right? The the fact that we can't predict, we cannot forecast that is something that we're very uncomfortable with especially when you have 27 variables that are constantly changing and all the underlying fundamentals don't compute anymore associated with those 27 variables or whatever it is right 
which I think we are in that world today. And that's the problem we're having. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Right. And it's, it's just, it's so interesting to think about too, because when we focus on the data side of things, right. And I'm most familiar with it when it comes to climate, but I'm sure it's applicable also to, to various different things and in, in, in verticals and specific niches and industries. But having this historic data is so important to be able to put predictions and forecasts in place, right? And that's where, at least on the climate side, it's difficult because you have that to, you know, up into a certain amount and then it, it's on paper. <laughs> and we're no longer working in a world where things are on yeah. paper. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't work. So we need to digitize some of that. But it's just so important to have an accurate understanding of clean, pure data um, yeah. to be able to start to have more accurate predictions and, and forecasts in place. But then again, the whole thing can get thrown off when a war breaks out. Yeah. And so that I think that's just part of the world <laughs> we live in, right? Is um, we can predict some things with, with high accuracy versus other things. It's still sort of a, a joker card in, in the deck where we're not sure when or, or, or why or how, right? But it will show up. <laughs> I think that's 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 the angle, right? I mean, there's so many different variables out there, and, and there's always a, a joker, and specifically in times of war, times of um, times of uncertain energy energy crisis that we got. Then all of a sudden, those benchmarks or those thresholds that we held ourselves accountable to, ooh, they shift, right? They're no longer relevant. But actually, the paradigm has changed, and we still need to hit those same goals. Why should those goals change just because the market's changed? I mean, a lot of businesses go under because the market's changed, because they weren't ready for it. They couldn't adapt. They didn't have the appropriate resources. They never got the funding. They never got the support. And nobody gave them the leeway. Oh, you can extend. You don't need to, you know, you know, don't need to pay back the loan by such and such a date or whatever, right? And so yeah. how do we hold ourselves accountable to that, number one, and 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 if not, then how do we have a framework that allows for that change to impact everything, not just one specific element, but but everybody and everything, right? I think you know, and I I don't have an answer for this, right? Because it's yeah, no, no, I don't either. But but it's it's um something I I personally at least think it will really help get us to that next step is sort of like the internet of things, right? Being able to connect and sync more things together so that you have automated communications between so many of those systems. I think by having a more efficient connectivity in place among all of these different variables that we're talking about, I personally think is the first step in getting in the right direction to really accurately uh, not just mitigate all of this, but to actually, um, be more prepared for it and have the insight to be able to then not just mitigate this, but to, to really um, understand, predict and forecast and try to figure out why is, if this happens over here, how, is it going to affect X, Y, and Z on this side, right? And just having that um, ability to really view uh, the global economy as a whole, as well as to kind of get in on the more granular and localized areas, I think is, the dream come true, right? And we've got the tools to do it today. It's just now about all of the right people coming together and the right companies and the right groups, the right innovation, all working together to get there. You know, one thing that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in IoT. I, I, I built a business, you know, I was the CTO at EnergyBox, which was an IoT um, 
company. Um, and in that space, one thing that you always get asked is, how do I know that the sensor is not going to be adulterated, that the sensors are not going to be given a fake algorithm, that are not going to be hacked, etc. Right. And, 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 but in principle, you know, if everybody's a good actor, it, it goes and works well, right? But maybe 2% out of the population are going to be bad actors. How do we, how do we ensure numbers and, you know, are, are going to be accurate, right? Yeah, I think when it comes to IoT, you know, a lot of it comes into this security you have in place in your system, but particularly around your like monitoring dashboards and things. Yep. So that you can be alerted immediately if there's any sort of anomaly or something happening in the data, right? Having that alerting system in place is vital for this. Um, that being said, it gets a little bit complicated though, right? As an example for you, for some um, GHG monitoring towers, if someone's smoking a cigarette within a block of the tower, you'll it'll come up. Um, and so you okay. have this- Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. there's- uh, Someone's job yeah. just to be able to detect those sort of um, anomalies and flag those. Anomalies. Yeah. Um, point being, so and you, you must be able to use AI also to use that those, uh, flag yeah. those anomalies, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think so. It's less common in the scientific communities because yeah. it just hasn't really been developed. But also, I think that scientists really like to look at that and understand it for themselves. It's a little tricky to do yeah. AI at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's important to be able to understand which is some, someone altering with something versus an actual just anomaly that, that, that's taking place. Uh, but the last thing that I would add on there is that I think as more and more IoT devices become used and potentially uh, enforced in certain industries, I think it's also going to take someone on the ground to check this out right so something like as a as a little example for you in the united states i, I think it's i could be totally wrong on this but i think it's like the F, fda or someone someone comes and inspects your restaurant once a year right to make sure that you don't have cockroaches running around in the kitchen and x y and z right so i think the same needs to come into place with some of the these iot devices used for climate right that you have an unexpected auditor that pops by once a year or a couple times a year just to double check and make sure this is the exact device that you say it is with the same serial number at the right spot and it's connected and nothing's been changed with it right we don't want someone to if there's a if there's a device sitting on a smokestack for them to just you know move the device and do that over a, a slow period of time so it doesn't trigger off any sort of alerting and alarm so i think there's the need for auditors or, or you know, people to come and actually check this out and, and make sure that it is exactly what it is. But I think what we've learned and, and also in the blockchain space that you can lock timestamp a lot of the data, right? So I can, if I'm installing this, 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 this sensor, I can lock in the location, the precise location today, you know, you can lock in sort of the, the you know, lot so that it has, does never gets adulterated, the firmware doesn't get changed or when the firmware gets changed, etc. So a lot of that data can be locked in and it can be visible in a block explorer, right? So everybody can see it. So it's then again, brings out that transparency element that we talked about earlier. And, and that to me is the beauty. So instead of 
you know, mandating, you know, that we have to police 100% of the population. We only need to sort of, you know, make sure that we support and make it as easy and incentivize the 98% of the good actors and then yeah. just clamp down and figure out ways to verify, validate anomalies, you know, then go after the 2% bad actors. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you. Like that, yeah. that that's music to my ears. Um, The the thing that I I still try to kind of understand and balance um, is that you you do have some, you know, larger corporations in the world still who just don't want that level of transparency, right? Volkswagen, wasn't Volkswagen something that didn't come to mind? (laughs) There are some others too. I mean, I'm sure loads of them. Yeah, want this level of transparency. but again, you know, if you if you ask like a 13 year old version of myself, I'd say, well, they don't want that level of transparency because they're doing something suspicious. Right. Not always the case, not always the case. Um, but I think it definitely sets the tone to really what you're just talking about of like, hey, we need to make these systems very transparent so that, you know, we don't have to have some Frankenstein machine that's you know, policing everybody, but instead we put the right incentives in place to let the people police themselves because you do, if you, if you act better, it's better for everybody and it makes more financial sense for yourselves. And for that smaller group of players who are, are not behaving well, um, at least everybody knows it's you now, right? So you can start yeah. to have a level of accountability. We'll see that. Yeah, we'll see, though. I mean, I think we've got a a long way to go, but there is a huge opportunity. And this is why we are both, I think, at least uh, um, for me, at least 100 percent sure, super excited. This is the time to be alive. This is the time to interpret the data. This is the time to seek out that transparency, to identify what the patterns are, to build systems that set out the alerts. There is so much to be done to communicate those, to package those, to make it comprehensible, to Educate on how to use that. There are so many opportunities alive in this new world that allows if we educate and transform the population towards the friendly, the opportunity, the monetization capabilities, the wealth that's going to be created around this. It's 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 that's why I'm super excited, you know, and that's why I think. Um, you know. I, I, again, I can't agree more. Like yeah. it's there is so much opportunity right now. It's it's really exciting, and, and you know that's what's so wonderful when when you and I really hit it off, and the hyphen and trueflation started to work together. Yeah. We we view this so similarly, right? But there's, yeah. there's something that definitely would encourage too to to other people um, out there right now is these opportunities. A lot of the times, start with the vision that someone has, and that vision can only manifest itself as an opportunity if you move on it, right? Um, and a lot of the times, if you don't, someone else will. But that's not to discourage yourself and say, oh, then, you know, I won't do it. So what I'm really saying here is for a lot of the people who are interested in these in this space um, and excited about it and eager to want to be involved, I would just strongly encourage people just do it, you know, just get up and go for it. The, these communities are very collaborative. People like to work with each other. Just get up off your ass, move and start walking that path. And I... I promise you'll either learn a lot from it or some really good things will come out of it and both.
Yeah. And I can tell you, we all need talent, right? There is a, a, a dire need of talent in this space and, and across this area. So everybody's new. You're starting off with the same level field, right? It, it, it's an opportunity for everybody. And once you get in, if you immerse yourself into this, you will definitely, you know, you're always learning, intellectually super stimulating and gratifying because you can have such an impact as we're so early in this evolution. So super excited. Thank you so much, Miles. You know, I've taken up more than enough of your time. I know uh, we're all really busy and, and got lots going on, but yeah, always, always fun talking to you. How yes. can people follow you, find out more about Hyphen? Where do they go and, and, and where can they keep up to date on what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can you can ch check out our Twitter. The Hyphen Twitter is just Hyphen underscore AG. Um, that's where we're, we're active the most. Our website is just www.hyphen.earth. And between those two things, you should be able to stay uh, up to speed on everything we're doing as well as on our LinkedIn. And that's basically where you can find us and see what we have coming, you know, between our work with you, we have some exciting announcements coming up as well as just throughout the rest of this year. We're really looking forward to, to sharing a lot more of what we've been working on and, and different things coming to market. Yeah, no, and I had the privilege to have a little peek under the hood in terms of some of the little things that you're, bigger things that you're working on. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to to learn more as they come to fruition. And, you know, I I look forward to working with you and, and seeing how we can convert some of what we're working on together into commercialized opportunities for everybody. Yeah, for everybody. And that's the key for everybody, right? To make it everybody. inclusive for everybody. Now, Stefan, and we will champion whoever wants to go into this path. We will champion. We'll be there supporting you any route of the way, whatever you do with us. Yes, exactly. So that's what I was saying earlier. Just you got the vision. Just go for it. Do it. Don't hesitate yeah. to reach out. Stefan, always great speaking with you. Um, it was wonderful seeing you the other day. And um, thank you for having me on here today. It was uh, super exciting. Thank you. Thank you, Miles. See you. Absolutely. This was Stefan Roost and Miles Austin. You can follow Miles N hyphen on Twitter at hyphen underscore AG. That's H-Y-P-H-E-N underscore A-G, all in capital letters. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at sroost99. That's S-R-U-S-T-9-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>